0: Welcome to Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life. Hi, I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness.
1: And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. Today, we're going to continue our discussions around having a perfectly imperfect journey and what that means. And we're super excited to have our very first guest, which we'll tell you about in just a moment. But we thought we'd just spend a a couple of minutes talking about what a perfectly imperfect journey is. And really, it's just all of our lives. Life is not a straight line. And we all have ups and downs and goods and bads and things that seem terrible in the moment. And then upon reflection, maybe don't seem so terrible when we look back at them. And this is it, right? It's just a curvy road that we all find ourselves on.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I don't know anybody who has had a journey where they went from point A to point Z without skipping over or going backwards or sideways. So absolutely not a straight line. So I'm super excited that we get to chat with my good friend Donna Peak about her perfectly imperfect journey. We've had the chance to For Anne and I to talk about our journeys and this is the first in what will be a series of conversations with friends and colleagues who are gracious enough to share their own experiences. One of the things I love about Donna, besides the fact that she always makes me laugh, is that she really walks her talk and I got to see that in action not too long ago when she was reaching the end of a commitment she had made for the last job that she took. She had gone to work for somebody that she had a 20 plus year relationship with and had set out a really clear timeline for when she was going to be ready to leave. And he agreed to it. And as it got close, he asked her, cajoled her, pleaded with her, um, tempted her to please stay on for another six months. And she said, no, no, no. And then finally really thought about it and out of commitment and out of loyalty, did agree to stay for another six months. And the reason that was such a great example of walking her talk was not only did she align with her values around commitment and loyalty, but she also set really clear boundaries around what that would look like. And that's something else that she's really good at, that I find really inspirational. So Donna, we're so excited to hear what you have to say about your journey and thanks so much for being here and for being our first guest.
2: It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our discussion.
0: Yeah, likewise. Why don't we start with you just talking for a few minutes about your perfectly imperfect journey? Just hit the highlights, you know, and then we can just start diving into some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the lessons learned. Let's start with just a little bit about what your journey has looked like.
2: Ah, sure. So, let's see. I I was born a small black child. (laughs) In Brooklyn, New York. I guess I'm dating myself with that jerk reference. But anyway, I was born, I was born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, born and raised there. Went to college in Pennsylvania and started my career with IBM. Met my husband in Philadelphia. And uh, we had a whirlwind romance because I'd kissed a lot of frogs before I found my prince. So I was I was an older person when I married my husband, 28 and uh, moved to Raleigh in 94 both of us with IBM worked at IBM at the time and we had this perfect plan to move to the south and have two children and adopt one that was the plan but God had other plans we struggled with infertility then we decided to adopt and our son is now 20 and serving in the U.S. Coast Guard in Nags Head North Carolina after a 37 plus year Career in the high tech industry. I retired. My official retirement date was April first of this year, which was apropos because it's kind of been an April Fool's uh, retirement. <laughs> but as per my general philosophy about life, which is to always see the glasses half full, rather than bemoan the fact that you know all of our travel plans went into the trash into the crapper. I just took it as a great opportunity to do a major reset and that the timing was great to do a reset because I was a retiring and lucky for me, I have lots of interests and a lot of them are outdoor interests like pickleball and tennis and running and cycling. And so those were safe things to do in a socially distanced way to keep me sane and active in my retirement. So I have been having a very fulfilling retirement and it's just getting underway. So that's me.
1: Donna, I love what you said about sort of being a positive person, seeing the glass as half full. Is there something in your life that helped you take on that perspective?
2: Well, I, I would say I had a couple of aha moments. And the one that helped me with that perspective was I mentioned, I started my career at IBM. And so pretty early in my career, I was on area staff and that's basically a high pressure powder keg environment where all these type A personalities are competing to get their first management job, first line management job in IBM. And they bring in a bunch of executives to come in and speak to us to give us, you know, motivational talks and rah, rah. And most of the executives that would come in would talk about how great they are and how hard they worked and all that kind of stuff. But the executive that stood out to me was a man named Charlie Quinn. And he spent his talk talking about how to deal with disappointment in life. And he used a personal example, a personal story about a branch manager job in Jersey North that he had been vying for and was competing with one other person for, and it was his dream job. He wanted it bad and he didn't get it. And he talked about how poorly he handled it at first and how he recognized that his character was really defined by how he handled disappointment. And that just stuck with me. It had me reflect on like, how terrible a job I usually did. <laughs> In dealing with disappointment, because I'm a planner, you know, organized, thinking seventeen steps ahead, had a plan for my life, and you know if it was a shift to the left or the right, I didn't always handle disappointment well. And the way that story comes full circle is you fast forward about three years from that point in time. I'm working in one of my dream jobs i was I got my first line management job at IBM in the number one branch office in America out of 250 IBM branches. I was recruited by that branch manager and I had my head in the sand because I loved that job and there was a lot of reorg talk going on and I wasn't paying attention (laughs) and as a result, I got basically the worst job in the reorg and in that worst job, I was working for Charlie Quinn the guy who had talked to me about disappointment. And I remember thinking my life was going to be over because this was like really a crap job. And I went home and my husband played this uh, uh, Ray Charles country album. <laughs> and I was laughing through my tears because it was just, you know, he went over the top with it and made me laugh. And then I just dusted myself off. And I was like, when life gives you lemons, you're going to figure out how to make lemonade. And I just applied myself to this job. I tried to find a way that I can make a difference in something that was considered kind of not all that exciting. And I think Charlie Quinn (laughs) recognized that grit in me. And I went from the worst job in my career to the best job in my career. He tapped me for for a much better opportunity. And that cycle, you know, having him do that talk, to to me at a young age. And then a few years later, me confronted with a major disappointment and then seeing how my ability to handle that well resulted in a fantastic opportunity for me um, was one of the things that helped me learn how to deal with disappointment and keep a positive attitude.
0: So Donna, that sounds like, it doesn't sound like it is. It's such a perfect example of An imperfect moment that turned out to be perfect, right? I mean, it's (laughs) just, it's there. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't script a better example of a perfectly imperfect journey, right? Where something really disappointing happened, and yet you'd had something happen earlier with the same person that set you up to think about it differently, and it came full circle and ended up being perfect. And that's why we are so fascinated and interested and curious about imperfect journeys because it's where all the learning is. Absolutely. Right? And it's where all our growth comes from. And it's so important. What I love about what you're saying is how you were so conscious, at least part of the time, around how you wanted to deal with your disappointment, how you wanted to manage your disappointment. And I'm sure that process wasn't perfect either.
2: Correct. Right. Yeah. So- it was wonderful. And we had actually, uh, once he gave me the job and I was so excited about it, I talked to him about, you remember that talk you gave? <laughs> and he remembered it and I told him, and actually we've Christmas cards to this day and it's been like, I don't know, 30 years now. It was one of the most impactful times of my life. I never, I'll never forget it. Well, and I I also love how your husband
1: knew exactly the right formula to try to bring you out of your funk a little bit. And has that, have you noticed a trend there as well? Like, I sometimes think our our friends and partners can help pull us out of things or at least give us different perspectives. Has that been your experience?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things, one of the many things I love about my husband I'm, I'm a type A driven personality and he knows that sometimes I can take myself too seriously. And so him playing that, country album, which is, you know, country music is just so depressing, right? <laughs> Made me realize how ridiculous I was being. Like I was so upset and I was crying. and I was like using all this hyperbolic language. My life is over. My career is over. And, you know, and he put that album on and I just started to laugh about how ridiculous I was being. But, you know, he's he's been wonderful doing that in my life. I also remember another time when I was really young in my career, I probably was four years at IBM and I lived in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which was a small town in central Pennsylvania. Not a great place for a young 23 year old black person (laughs) to be living. And IBM was going through a really bad time. You know, the economy was bad. So therefore, you know, in, in sales, it was just a bad time. And I got myself into a really bad funk of feeling sorry for myself, and I had a cube mate who was probably in his 40s at the time. I thought, probably thought he was an old guy, but he was younger than I am now, and he invited me to be a, a speaker or a, a judge at an Optimus International competition, a bunch of 12-year-olds doing speeches on destiny, choice, not chance, and I went thinking I'm doing him a favor, And I'm listening to these 12-year-olds talking about life is what you make it and life is about you have control over your attitude and your attitude determines your altitude and how far you get in life. And I mean, these were 12-year-olds and I'm literally listening to them and it was all I could do not to burst into tears Mm -hmm. because it was so convicting that these 12-year-olds were dropping knowledge and wisdom that at 23... (laughs) I had forgotten, and (laughs) I went home and had a serious and stern talk with myself, and I was like, I need to change the story that I'm telling myself, I need to change what's going on between my ears, I need to come into the office tomorrow with a complete and total reset of my attitude, and I went from that moment of funkiness to winning branch managers awards and getting promoted out of the office all because... (laughs) A guy who realized that Donna needs an attitude adjustment, so I'm going to invite her to do this for <laughs> me. And I listened to a bunch of 12-year-olds talking about, you know, destiny, choice, not chance. And that literally another life-changing moment for me. So back, and to the question you asked about seeing the glass half full and, you know, what helped me have that attitude. A bunch of 12-year-olds. Right. Help me. I, have the, I love that. Attitude, no, I, I love that because... I love it so much because
1: it, it so speaks to the fact that we, there are lessons around us all the time. There are moments of wisdom. Sometimes Sherry and I call it hearing the whisper. And I think the point is, is like that whisper, that, those moments, that insight, those wisdom, that pieces of wisdom can come kind of anywhere at any time. Yes. And part of our, part of our thing is to pay attention,
2: right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's those moments that, are fantastic for self-reflection and for growth. And so one of the things I've learned is I always check in with myself because what I observed when I was younger is that I would kind of wake up and find myself in this funk of feeling sorry for myself or depressed or bad thinking. But that started somewhere. Like I was just, I would always kind of realize I was there, but I was never in tune with the things that were happening in terms of my, you know, mental thought process that led me to that place of funkiness. And so I'm always kind of doing a self-check. The minute I feel myself thinking something negative or feeling something negative or worse yet, like starting to have feeling sorry for myself thought, I arrest it at that moment and replace it with gratitude and replace it with all the things that I have positive going on in my life that I have no reason at all to be feeling sorry for myself for anything, no matter what I'm facing. And it's being conscious enough about your attitude and what you're thinking so that you can arrest those negative thoughts before you get to a dark place that has been very, very, very useful for me to keep that, me in a, in a happy place.
0: You just touched on so many really important pieces, Donna, one of which is the importance of self-awareness, right? Just the importance of being able to catch yourself and notice that that's where you're going. and then when you notice it going from self-awareness to choice of I can make a choice here, I can change my story, I don't have to stay in this place. Yep. And I'm, I'm curious what process you went through or what practices you had that turned that into something that became a habit, right? Because the way you just described it is it sounds like now you are just always in a place of self-awareness and being able to catch yourself. Can you talk a little bit about if there was some practice you used intentionally to become more aware of it? Or if for you, it was just like, whoa, it was such an epiphany that you moved into it?
2: Well, I think it's a combination. I mean, I'm a spiritual person. And so I've been on a um, spiritual journey. So I think that has served me well in my life is that ability to connect to something, you know, greater than myself. I think connecting to something greater than myself helps me to recognize how little control you really have over things that may happen to you in life. So, as somebody who's a planner, who's a type, who's been a type A person, who likes to kind of know what I'm doing one step to the next, recognizing that would have been a pretty frightening thing for somebody like me if I didn't have a higher source to rely on and to, and to look to and also recognizing that despite the things that may happen, I always have control over one thing. And that is how I choose to think about what has happened and the story that I tell myself. And so, you know, in life, you're going to suffer disappointments, right? You know, you you have these goals and dreams and aspirations, and you think that this is the way to get to happiness. And what I have learned is that the minute I let go of the thing that I thought that I needed to be happy mm-hmm. is the time that the universe, I make space for the universe to give me something that will actually make me happy because we, we know way less than we think that we do. (laughs) You know, you know, there's always a bigger picture or a bigger perspective or a universe of people that you can influence if you take this fork versus that fork, but you're so busy focused on the left fork and that's that's the only fork that's available to you, not realizing that, man, if I just kind of take this disappointment and just follow it where it leads me, there's probably something bigger, better, deeper that is available to me. But that requires you to let go of the iron fist you're, you're, you know, you're you're holding on to, you know, this other thing, you got to be willing to let it go. And that's very frightening when you don't know what, what the alternative is going to be if you let go of the thing that you were holding on to. But for me, it was my 20 year old adopted son, you know, letting go of, you know, being a birth mother, uh, let me left me free and open to be an adoptive um, mother and the joy and the expansion of my way of thinking and, and the love that I had to give. So, you know, I just have countless examples in my life when I let go of the perfect or let go of the plan that God gave me something exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. (laughs) So
1: yeah, that's such an amazing perspective, because, and I think it's so hard sometimes for, you know, when you're in the middle of the muck, and I'm sure when you're in the middle of the, man, I really wanted to be a birth mom, when you're in the middle of it, it's sometimes so hard, and you started to say you're a spiritual person, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, is, is your spirituality, is that, is that one of the ways that you sort of help get yourself out of those moments that seem painful?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, always, like I said, you know, being able to focus on something larger than me, feeling like no matter what happens, that God is in control, and that there is joy to be found in every situation. And so, therefore, my life is about finding the joy, especially in times of sadness or disappointment. That's when I dig deep for the joy and the harder you dig for the joy, the larger it is because it's, you know, the surface stuff is not really lasting, but when you're, you know, digging for joy in the face of, you know, an Alzheimer diagnosis for your mother or, you know, infertility or you know my husband's prostate cancer diagnosis, which is thankfully he's fine now, when you're digging for the joy in those times that's that's when it's it's gets rooted uh, in you so that I can be have joy even when I'm not happy. I can still have joy right what you
0: just said, Donna, is so so impactful this this idea or this reality that you don't have to be having everything going fabulously well to still be able to find joy. Precisely. Right. And, and that it takes more effort sometimes than other times. Right. I'm sure when you brought your son Carl home, it was, well, it probably wasn't one joyful moment after the other, when you were up (laughs) in the middle of the night. So that may not be the best example, but that just, there were so many I'm sure there were so many more moments of joy in motherhood that compared to how hard you have worked to find moments of joy as your mother has continued to deteriorate, right, and continued to move further and further into Alzheimer's and well even
2: in the situation with my mother so I I have not unfortunately had a very good relationship with my mother it's been very tense and fraught with conflict and I went through counseling about it I tried to have conversation with my mother about it but she had her own childhood trauma so we could never really connect and I thought I'd reached a place of peace about it until we got the Alzheimer diagnosis and I realized that there was a part of me that was still holding out hope that I would somehow miraculously have this reconciliation with my mother. And so I had to grieve all over again that that was never going to happen now. And now that, you know, it's four and a half years in, and my mother is at late stages, so she doesn't know who I am. And there's no chance that we're going to have any kind of relationship. I still find joy just going over there and being with her. And it's actually a relief now to go over and spend time with her because I don't have to worry about the baggage of our history and our our negative toxic patterns of behavior, you know, and, and all of that negative history that kind of would make our interactions really charged and fraught. I can now just sit with her as someone who is bedridden and needs comfort and care and just provide comfort and care and find the joy in being with my mother and providing that comfort and care, even though I didn't have the thing that I wanted. I'm taking the thing that I have and finding the joy in in that.
0: You know, it's so interesting to listen to you talk. I went back last night to try to figure out how long we have known each other. And it's over 12 years, which was Kind of surprising, right? And in a way it was surprising, in a way it wasn't, because I feel like I've known you for as long as I can remember. But it's interesting to hear you talk about earlier in your life, the high drama, the getting getting stuck in disappointment or wallowing in disappointment. And it really speaks to the power of our abilities to transform because absolutely. right because in the time i've known you i have only experienced you as this positive motivated joyful steady grounded person and and of course we don't get to see all of everybody mm-hmm. but when i hear you describe your your young self and i know how i experience you it really speaks to the power of transformation
2: absolutely And I think the other thing that I have benefited from in my life is that I was always someone that was really good at learning from other people, learning from their mistakes, and recognizing when I was seeing a lesson in action, which is not something we do all the time, Like because lessons are all around us, and we kind of walk by and through them all the time. And, you know, I'm having a really joyous retirement now. And part of why I'm having a joyous retirement now is when we first moved to Raleigh in 1994, my husband had lived in Raleigh before moving to Philadelphia. So he had a lot of IBM friends in in Raleigh. And soon after we got here, he got invited to a retirement party. We got invited to a retirement party. It was the wife of a friend of his who was retiring after 30 something years in the public school system as a teacher. And I didn't know anybody at this party, and they lived in a beautiful home, and I saddled up to her kind of at the party, and I introduced myself, and I said, oh, man, you must be so excited to be retiring. And I will never forget her reaction. She almost burst into tears. I could tell she was, like, holding it together. She said that she was miserable, that she doesn't know what she's going to do with herself. She's terrified of what this part of her life is going to look like and she really wishes she wasn't retiring and I kind of reared my head back because by then I was like mid-career and I was like IBM and my career was pretty much my life. We were struggling with infertility so that kind of had me double downing uh, on my career and (laughs) as a you know coping mechanism and I it was like a punch to the gut Because I said to myself, this is not going to be me. When I'm ready to retire, I want to be leaping into retirement with joy. I want to be prepared emotionally and mentally for that phase of my life. I don't want to be going into retirement terrified and not knowing who I am and what gives me joy and wondering how I'm going to spend my days. And so I've committed to myself from that moment that I needed to find the things that brought me joy, that I needed to start building those things into my life. And over the decades since that moment, that was part of the impetus, Sherry, for me joining the book club. And, you know, I, I na- renamed the book club Oasis of Joy because it was part of my mission to find things that bring me joy. I played tennis. I recently picked up pickleball. I started running. I learned to cycle. I always was an avid reader and I didn't make time to read. So I started reading more. I just started building a life for myself outside of work around things that brought me joy. Mm-hmm. So that when I got to the point where I'm at the, my last job before retirement, that's why it was so easy to tell him no three or four times because I was mentally emotionally ready for this stage of my life. And I didn't want anything to, to delay that moment. And now I'm here, the days and weeks go by fast. Like I'm, I'm like when when COVID is over, I don't know how I'm going to fit more things into my life because I'm already, you know, feeling like I'm having a full retirement. And I mean, I'm I'm doing a lot of political volunteering because that's a passion of mine. Equity and racial justice is a passion of mine. So, that is, you know, I've carved out time for that. But my husband was, uh, who who retired five years before I did, gave me really wise advice, which was to not be in a hurry, to say yes to board, you know, things that would come my way, people thinking, you know, I'm retired, I've got, free time in my hands. I'm just sitting around eating bonbons. So they come to you with stuff to do. (laughs) He said, say, say no to all of it. Give yourself nine to 12 months before you say yes to stuff so that you can settle in to your, you know, your new normal. And that was really good advice that I have taken to heart. But that moment at that retirement party and listening to that woman was a wake up call for me about the changes I needed to make in my life. Then in order to be here now and on a different trajectory of happiness than that that woman was that woman unfortunately found herself in you just gave two great examples of hearing some information or getting
1: some advice so one from the woman who she didn't even know she was giving me advice, right. <laughs> but you advice, but you took it in that way. You thought, man, this is not what I want. Right. And so it really, again, you heeded the whisper. There was something that was coming through in the conversation that you had with her that then impacted you, frankly, for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And so it was sort of this indirect way. And then your husband, again, with sort of the amazing, you know, coming in and, and giving you some really direct advice. And I just, I just love how you are able to hear the the things that have meaning to you in this indirect way, but also you know continue to hear the direct sort of advice and feedback you're getting as well and on that note, I'd love to hear if if you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, what advice would you give you?
2: I think. I thought a lot about this. I've thought a lot about this question in my life. And usually when people get this question, they say the, you know, love yourself more and, you know, kind of stuff like that. And all that is true. But I tried to think through what would be the most meaningful for me, given the journey that I've been on. And what it came down down to for me is, Love myself enough to set boundaries and know that those worthy of you will honor those boundaries and those who won't, you have the freedom to leave. And it took me probably 50 years (laughs) to fully embrace that advice because I had to employ it with my own father about a year ago. And it was really the first time I had established a clear boundary with my father after years of kind of bad behavior that I kind of just swept under the rug and, and ignored or didn't address. And what I would tell my younger self is that an, a, a thing that you don't think of when you're young, because when you're young, you're kind of insecure. You may be battling with, you know, some self-esteem issues and you kind of want to please people. And you think that if you don't do what people say or if you if you set conditions or boundaries that people won't people, you'll lose people's love and respect. And an amazing thing happens when you set boundaries. It actually increases people's respect for you and people who are decent people who respect you and just have any amount of character about themselves, if you establish a boundary, people respect your boundaries. They absolutely will. Uh, There are very few people that won't. And the ones that won't, it's them really testing to see if it's really a boundary. And then when you actually execute, and remove yourself, or remove the gift of your presence or your engagement, and they realize you're serious about the boundary, that's when they then respect it. So, either they're going to respect it out of the gate, or if they don't, and you establish the repercussions of crossing the boundary, they will then come back to you. And anybody that is in a third category is not somebody that you want in your life anyway, and it's probably the sooner you recognize that, the better. You'll weed out bad actors in your life. And that advice for me when I was in my young 20s particularly would have saved me from some bad situations and bad people. But then, you know, the other thing I say to myself is, yeah, but all those bad people or bad relationships or bad decisions are actually part of (laughs) the journey that led me to where I am now. That's right. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. I would just say enjoy the journey and pay attention.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. awesome. I think that's such a perfect place to wrap up this absolutely wonderful conversation with you making the connection between in order to hold boundaries, you really have to believe you're worthy of holding exactly. those boundaries. Correct. And that's just such a beautiful way to think about it's both, right? Mm-hmm. And we are all worthy. And so we are. We all deserve to hold our boundaries.
2: Right. And usually when you're not, it's because you don't think you're worthy of it. Right. You don't love yourself enough to say, I'm not going to tolerate this in my life, or I'm not going to tolerate this behavior, or someone speaking to me in this way, or treating me this way. And you just take it because you think you're supposed to, or they won't come back, or you'll lose them, but you have to love yourself enough to set those boundaries and to hold people accountable to honoring those boundaries. Donna, thank you so much.
1: I I really appreciate, I've learned so much from our conversation, and and really, I love this last thought about setting boundaries is really about loving yourself. Um, And the other just big, huge takeaway for me that you shared with us is really around your life being about finding joy and that joy and happiness aren't necessarily the same thing, Correct. but that we all have that opportunity. We always have that opportunity to look for the joy, even when it's painful. Yep.
0: And that too is another perfect description of the perfectly imperfect journey. <laughs>
1: right.
2: Indeed. Right.
1: <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining us. It's been a lot of fun to have our friend Donna Peak join us today and we can't wait to share the next perfectly imperfect journey with you.